They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory, in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thanks, Liz. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the challenge of it and the invitation of it. The invitation that Jesus has died for us but the challenge that we likewise should serve others. Lord, it's, on one hand, it's an incredibly simple passage and yet it's hard to do. So I pray for all of us today, Lord, that we would embrace servanthood, that we would embrace being the slave of another, that we might reflect Jesus to those around us. Lord, we are just so incredibly grateful for Jesus. Words just cannot express it. And I pray, Lord, for us that as we spend time in this passage this morning, it'll be Jesus who we see. And it'll be Jesus who other people see through us. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us wrestle with this today. Take me out of the way and speak to your children. And Lord, as we do every Sunday, we pray for our brothers and sisters who will be meeting likewise all around the world today, especially those who will be persecuted for proclaiming Jesus. Give them boldness, Lord, and we pray for their persecutors that they might become missionaries of the Lord Jesus. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the disciples. They just get it so badly wrong so often, it gives me confidence that I'm not that out of touch with what's going on. 
Three times in Mark, Jesus gives prediction of his death. This is the third time. And three times they get it completely wrong. The first time Jesus tells them that he's going to go to, the, going to, go to his death, Peter rebukes him and ends up being told, get behind me, Satan, as Jesus tells him, you must deny yourself and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. The second time in Mark chapter 9, again, he predicts his death. Each time with their prediction, he adds a little bit of detail. And again, the disciples, this time they're arguing about greatness and Jesus tells them the first must be last. So you would think the third time round, on the same journey going up to Jerusalem, you would think third time round, now they might get it. But no, they do not get it. And so again, Jesus tells them he's going to die. This time he adds a, a new bit of information for them, which is that he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. Now, we, we hear that and we go, oh yeah, well, we know that that was the case. But for a Jewish person, a Jewish rabbi to say that he is going to be handed over to Gentile people, the dirty people as they were seen, the outsiders, and willingly do it, they would have been horrified at that. But what's more startling about the prediction of Jesus to get, that he's going to the cross for me is not the detail of it. It's that he says, we are going up to Jerusalem. He knows what is coming and he's going to go there and do it for us. Friend, if you don't know who Jesus is, I want you to hear today that when he died on a cross, it was no accident it didn't happen because he just happened to be a poor sap who got caught up in the middle of a little uh, dispute between Rome and Israel. Jesus deliberately went to the cross. He deliberately went up to Jerusalem. He deliberately put himself to be handed over. He deliberately was, uh, put himself in the situation to be condemned to death. He, was, he deliberately put himself in a place for us to be mocked, to be spat on, to be flogged and to be killed. And hallelujah, three days later to rise again. And he did it for us. Don't ever think for a minute that this was an accident. I had the privilege just between services of saying to a lady who does not know Jesus, she doesn't know the Jesus story. And she's telling me, to her, he's a good teacher. She knows about him a bit. I got to tell her this morning that he went and did that for her. I said, as you go back to your town where, you go, where you're from, go back and talk to more people about Jesus. And her friend who's the Christian, brand new Christian, says, I didn't know what to say. What would you say? I said, well, ultimately, I think the question is this. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with him? You can have all the objections in the world, but what do you do with Jesus? A man who deliberately went to a cross and died and rose again. What do you do with him? You put your faith in him. You make him Lord of your life. You bow the knee. And yet the disciples do the opposite. Instead of making Jesus their Lord, they ask to be his Lord. Because notice what happens in verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. Now, has anyone ever had a child who comes to you and says, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to ask, but I want you to say yes before I ask you. You know why they do that? Because they know they're going to get a no. My kids have all bunged that on with me. Dad, I'm going to ask you something, and I want you to say yes before I tell you what it is. Yeah, that's not happening. No. 
the James and John come to Jesus basically to say, say yes now, and then we'll tell you what we're going to ask. So Jesus, being Jesus, what do you want? Allow us to sit at your right and at your left hand. What's that about? In the ancient days, for someone to sit at the right and the left hand of the person in power was to make them the, basically the second and third in charge. If you see when the, well, now king, I was going to say the queen, but when the king opens parliament, the uh, heir to the throne will sit to their side. It's this is my next person. And I, these guys are so gracious to Jesus, they don't even tell him which one goes left and which one goes right. They'll leave that up to him. Very gracious of them. But they're like, just make us left and right, Jesus. And Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what the mission is I'm going on. You have no comprehension of what I'm about to do. And he gives this a wonderful, these two little similes. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with? Now, the cup, I guess, is obvious. When we know of the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is agonizing the night before he goes to the cross and he cries out to God, take this cup from me, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of suffering. The baptism, though, is a little bit harder to understand because he's already been baptized. And what I think he's saying is the mission on which Jesus is about to undergo, the cross, is going to be so complete, demands so much of him, it will be both internal, what you drink, and external, baptised in the water. It will be all-consuming. The sacrifice of Jesus for us, for our sin, for our wrongdoing, was all-consuming for him. And he did it for us. One of the great moments I love of a baptism service and preparing people to be baptised is to say to them, when we baptise you, you will go completely under the water because Jesus completely died for you. He didn't swoon. He wasn't asleep. He died. And then he rose again. He looks at these disciples and says, you've got no idea what I'm about to do for you. You have no comprehension. Separated from the Father, all the sin of the world laid upon his shoulders. And he asked them, are you able? And the audacity of this pair, yep, we can do it. And I have to ask the question, why did they ask this question? Why did they think it was okay to come to him and say, let us sit at your right and your left? And I wrestled with that because I just could not believe anyone could have the brazen audacity to ask this question. And I think the reason is... We know that Matthew tells us that when they came to Jesus, they didn't come alone. They actually came with their mum, Salome, because that's what you do when you've got to ask a tough question. Bring your mummy. And yeah, we want to be your right and your left hand. Mum will back us up. <laughs> Mum's got us. Salome, their mum, is always around the mother, their, uh, mother of Christ, Mary. And there's a large body of literature and study that would suggest that, in fact, she was Mary's sister. So what, why they, I think they had the brazenness to come to Jesus and ask for this is quite possibly they are first cousins to Jesus. And in the society of Jesus' day, when someone came to a position of power, the first thing to do was give their family roles of power. Look after those close to you. I think the reason they had so much audacity to come to him and say, right and left hand, please, 
was, we know the other ten are a bit dodgy, but we're cousins, right? Like, I know the other's unreliable. Blood. You'll look after us, won't you? Jesus shows a different priority. You will drink the cup I drink. You will be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. He says to them, you will suffer. You will be asked to sacrifice. Don't believe any preacher or anyone that ever tells you the Christian life is easy. They're lying. Don't ever believe anyone that tells you that if you have become a Christian that you will have great relationships everywhere you go. You will be in perfect harmony with everyone. It's rot. Jesus said, as the world hated me, so shall also it hate you. But I will be with you. That's the promise he gives us. To never leave us, to never forsake us. And just to drive the point home, when the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant. I don't think they were indignant because they thought James and John were bad. I think they were just filthy that they didn't get in on the question first. They don't exactly have a great track record themselves, right? can't believe you two did that. That's so bad. We should have thought of that. That's a good idea. We should have done that. So they become indignant. And Jesus calls them all together. You can just imagine Jesus, right? Come here. Come on. Let's talk about it again. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is not against ambition. Jesus is not against being uh, driven. He says those who want to be great, those who want to be first. It's what you want to do with your position that counts. If it's for yourself, no. If it's for the good of others, great. A mate of mine's a good businessman. And he takes what he makes as profit and he serves others with it. He's done really well. He, he is very good at what he does. But he uses what he receives and he serves others. And in the modern church, I think we've just got this so up the wrong way where we continually pander to consumerism. We continually say, this is about you. No, it's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about him. And he uses these two phrases that would have stunned them when he says, first of all, you must become their servant. In Greek, it's the word diakonos. And it literally means table servant. When everyone else is sitting around the table, enjoying themselves, the servant is the one who stands while everyone else sits and waits to see if anyone needs anything. They are there for others. Normally, you would have people who were not, who were of a lower class than you do that. People who are beneath you served you. Jesus says, you put yourself beneath everyone. But then he takes it a step further and says, not only be a servant, a slave. A slave. 
And the bar he sets for this is so incredibly high. Look at verse 45, one of the great statements in the Bible. If you have a Bible, underline this, highlight it, take a photo of it. This is one of the crackers. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Why does he say ransom? Well, it's a bit lost on us because now we really only ever talk about ransoms and we talk about kidnappings, right? You pay a ransom. That's not what he's talking about. The ransom that he's talking about in Jesus' day was what was paid to release someone out of slavery. And when we sin, when we, when we have rejected God and we've all rejected God, a ransom needs to be paid to get us released from slavery to sin. Jesus paid the price. And he didn't pay it with cash, he paid it with his life. And he paid it completely and fully and finally. And so for you, if you wrestle with guilt, if you wrestle with, is my sin dealt with, hear this today, your sin, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, your sin is gone. Finished. It's done. As far as the east is from the west, it's gone. And so when Jesus represents us before the courtroom of heaven and I get it wrong, Jesus doesn't say to his heavenly father, oh, he's done it again, dad, Mark, give him one more go. Come on, we'll see if he gets it right next time. Because I won't. What he says is, you must forgive him because I've already paid the price. That sin is dealt with. That sin is paid for. You cannot hold that against him in the courtrooms of heaven because the price has been paid. And I've known so many Christians who have carried guilt around with them all their lives of the past. That past is done. It's paid for completely, forgiven, done. Move forward in faith and freedom because of what Jesus has bought for you. But that's the bar of servanthood, the cross. Can you imagine the difference it would make in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our neighbourhoods, in our families? If Christians walked into those places not saying, how am I to be served here today? But walked in saying, how can I serve someone else? How can I be a blessing to someone else? How can I work to show Jesus to someone else? And friends, it applies to the church. We dare not walk in and say, right, what is in it for me? We walk in to serve others. And that is what transforms communities. That is what changes lives. I don't think people are going to be changed by wonderful words and all the rest of it. They're going to be changed by seeing people of faith love and serve in the name and the way of Jesus. So he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And I was thinking this week about who, I've been to- who I know who kind of epitomises this for me. And a few of us went to the Project 11, Sam and uh, Beck and Jonah were there, and we met a guy named Charlie. And see, they're already smiling. And Sam's smiling. Because Charlie is a very smart guy, like clearly a smart dude. 
and he's an engineer and he's been working for years in all these engineering, uh, all these mining towns all around Queensland and he's been overseas and all the rest of it. And I said to him, uh, not the church he's currently in, but a previous church, how did you end up there? He said, well, there are only two churches in this small mining town. One of them was big. It had people my age. It had people my, like me. The engineers of the town went to there and they had all the bells and whistles. And I liked it. And then I went to this other church and there was like 10 people. The music was recorded. The preaching was... But they wanted to love and serve the community with Jesus. I went there. And that community was transformed because of that church. You see the difference? On the one hand, we say, what's in it for me? On the other hand, it says, I'll be a slave and a servant of all. And that's what changes. So my challenge for us all today is to think, well, how do I apply this? How do I be a servant and a slave of all? So I think it starts in the church. If we can't do it amongst the body of faith, we're not going to do it wherever we go, Monday to Saturday. And so I'm, I'm saying unashamedly, unreservedly, that if you're not currently serving and engaged, get involved and serve. We're missing out. You're missing out. Because that's how we show Jesus to the world. Get in a life group. Get in a, one of the ministry teams that Ruth has already mentioned. That God is doing that. We're getting people come to church who don't know who Jesus is. Let's serve them. Let's just not just tell them about Jesus. Let's show them about Jesus by the way we serve one another and them. That's the kingdom at work. That's what it looks like to be a slave and a servant. That's what changes communities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing passage. Thank you for the words of Jesus that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh Lord, that's music to our ears. That gives us hope. That gives us assurance. That gives us life. But Lord, I pray that it would also give us the challenge to serve someone else where we go to work, where we go to school, in our families, in our church, that we will serve by showing Jesus. Lord, we, we just want to, we want to see revival break out. We pray it would start with us as we love and serve in the ways and the works of Jesus. And it's his name that we pray. Amen.